This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Last week, electric cars were thrown into the spotlight with the High Court ruling on EV ownership tax. But what it did was highlight the growing number of people who either own an EV, want an EV, or are planning that their next car will be electric. But for a long time, electric vehicle advocates here in Victoria believe that we are behind. We are behind the rest of the world when it comes to embracing and supporting electric vehicles. So what's the reality? Where are we at? How many people own EVs? Are prices coming down? Do we have enough public charging stations, especially in regional Victoria? Do workplaces embrace EVs? What's our plan to recycle the batteries? As a state, are we keeping up? Are we making it possible and easy for Victorians to own an EV if they want one. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warrnambool. Daniel, it will be interesting today to take the pulse of EV ownership, people's concerns, maybe excitement around electric vehicles. In Easter, or at Easter time, we saw Mm -hmm. images of queues of cars lining up, waiting to charge their electric car because everyone was driving around on holidays. We've got a long weekend around the corner. Christmas, I think I saw at my local shopping centre, is counting down the days for me. It's like 59 days or something horrific. (laughs) Are we ready? Good morning, Rochelle. I don't know. I feel like we are probably at a point where electric vehicles aren't a novelty anymore. They're slowly becoming a norm on the roads. And, you know, to put this into perspective with a little bit of data, the number of EVs sold in the first half of this year alone is already more than the total number of EVs sold throughout the entirety of last year. And I think it is becoming a bit more common to see charges around town. You know, mm. even in Port Ferry in my neck of the woods, I was walking bubs down the street on the weekend for a coffee and there was a brand new EV charger slap bang in the middle of the main drag. And that's, you know, three and a half hours out of Melbourne. So it shows they're becoming a lot more common, especially outside of that metro area. But as you mentioned, I think the question that remains are, have we rocked up at this party a little bit too late? Mm. And... That high court decision, does those extra savings that are going to come in place now in a cost of living crisis that we're all really feeling, is that going to push people perhaps to, to make that plunge and finally change over to an EV, which you know, yeah. cars in some people's lives and in many people's lives is a big part of their identity. So making a big switch like this is probably a generational thing. And it's identity, but it's a big part of your daily cost. You mentioned cost of living. And I think that, and we'll get into this today, there are some myths around EV ownership and who owns them and that it's sort of inner city bougie people that have EVs. Mm-hmm. When in fact, the, grass, the fastest growing area of EV ownership uh, on our outer fringes, Tarnit, for example, is one yeah. of the fastest growing areas of EV ownership. And that is because of petrol prices and people still having to drive into the CBD every day and not wanting to spend that money on petrol. So the reasons behind why people are owning them now, and as you mentioned, they're sort of not a novelty anymore. They've been around for a long time. So, you know, will we start to see more and more good secondhand EVs on the market, making them more available for more of us? 
And it feels almost like we're catching up to the rest of the, of the world in some parts, in the number of EVs and the fact that they're becoming a lot more affordable now as well. Mm. It's not just these top-of-the-line Teslas that, you know, are aspirational for a lot of people. We're starting to see some shifts in the market, which we'll have a couple of experts talk about later this hour, in the way that the affordability of these cars is becoming a lot more realistic for, you know, just everybody right across the area. And it's also the uh, the number of these charges that are popping up, making day trips outside of Metro Melbourne easier. It's not just an easy way to you know duck down to the servo or, or duck down to the supermarket if you are looking for a short trip. This is becoming something that people can take on long distance trips. They can tow with, which is another Don't myth start that the we're going to start. No, I'm starting it right up the top <laughs> because we've got some experts who can back us up and who know a lot more about us. <laughs> so maybe you're an EV owner, maybe you're considering one. If you have a question if you have a myth that you would like busted just anything around electric vehicles today we have the experts to take your call daniel miles is your co-host this morning joining you from abc warnable we are talking electric vehicles already so many texts and questions coming in on this riz actor is the head of the victorian branch of the electric vehicles association in the studio with us Riz, over the years on this program when we've discussed electric vehicles, I feel like there's sort of two camps, right? Those who love them and are obsessed and will corner you in the kitchen at a party and talk your ear off about EVs and those who question whether or not they're good enough and whether or not they're up to scratch in comparison to a petrol car. Is that changing? Um yeah, thanks, Rochelle. Yeah, it is changing. It's it's changing quite rapidly with the way things are going, with the number of cars we see on our roads, um, kids always out and about pointing at Teslas and saying, hey, there's another Tesla. So the more we're seeing them, the more people believe that it becomes a bit of a reality. Um, we're seeing them at shopping centers when we go around and um, generally the charging stations are right at the front door. So a lot of people see them every time I seem to be charging. Uh, curious people come up and ask questions and they're genu- generally pretty genuine questions. They're curious about them and they're saying, well, my next car will be electric or my cousin owns one or we want one in our family. So it's, it's happening. Riz, let's get some of these tricky questions done right off the top so we can um, dispel a couple of myths. I'm going to throw a couple of texts to you. The yeah. first is, I would love to have an EV dual cab ute as a tradie, but only one option for now and the range is too low. When will the EV dual cab ute start hitting Australia? That's from Kev the Carpenter. Oh, good question, Kev. Thanks for that, Dan. Um, so I drove the first electric ute in about 12 months ago when it landed the LDV Um it's it's a good ute, but the price is way out of this world. So why is that? Why is it higher? Um, look, some of it is attributed to the battery technology. Uh, some of it is it's sort of the first version of a product. So if you think about when Steve Jobs announced the iPhone back in two thousand and eight, I think it was, the prices were crazy, and I mean over the years they've gone up even further, but. As that technology becomes more and more mainstream, uh, then there's competition and other more affordable and, let's say, better products uh, start to come in. So there are a couple of electric utes that are in the works, and some of them will be here sooner than we think, um, at a price point that most tradies um, are quite happy to pay. Because these days, you know, Ford Rangers and the Toyota Hilux, they always top up. Um, It's always about 
that lifestyle youth is what we're looking for and there are a couple in the works. And when we look at some of the fastest, not in terms of electric vehicles, but the other fastest growing or style of car that's being purchased at the moment are those big utes that are seen for both work uh, and home life as well. So you can start to see if you could capture that market, then there is a a huge market there. Let's go to some calls. Eric's in Port Arlington. Morning, Eric. Good morning. What was your question? Uh, Well, not really a question, um, a a contribution, I suppose. Um, Great. I've I've driven these for three years. I'm over 70. My son encouraged me to buy one. I bought the uh, smaller one, a Tesla Model 3. I did experience the larger one, the Y, but I don't need a big car. Much more economical to own. Um, I charge from home 95% of the time, but I've never had an issue when driving longer distances. Been through to clear in South Australia. Not hard to charge. Uh, plug it in at night, wake up in the morning and it's fully charged. Yeah. It's funny, um, Eric, We yeah. Riz and I were talking off air about range anxiety, right, which is a term that sort of came around at the beginnings of EVs. And I wonder, is, the, is there any difference between an EV range anxiety and the same anxiety you get if you feel like you're going to run out of petrol? Isn't it just the same thing? <laughs> uh, pretty much. Um, you know, I have a range for about 450 kilometres. My standard joke is that I get bladder anxiety before I get range anxiety. So um, it, it's not really an issue for me. Um, but, but another point I wanted to make, and I was lucky enough to be with my son in Brownsville, Texas, three weeks ago. We hired an EV with the full self-driving beta. Now, we'd never driven on American roads before, as many Americans have never driven on Australian roads. But that experience was incredible, and it made... Um, the driving experience in an unfamiliar environment just so much safer. Um, that's really interesting because that, that's one of the fears that most people have as soon as you go overseas and need to drive on the other side of the road or the gear sticks in the wrong side. Um, it does sit in the side of your mind. So uh, nice to hear that, Eric. Thanks for giving us a call, just like Michael from Geelong has. Good morning, Michael. Yes, good morning. Um, I'm just wondering if you could uh, look into the insurance costs on EVs. Apparently, there are reports coming out of the UK that insurers there are massively increasing premiums on EVs um, to the tune of £3,000 a year Mm. for some vehicles. I don't know whether that is because of a story I've also heard that in the event of an accident, an insurer is more likely to write an EV off than repair it. Um, Is it also related to possible EV fires um, if vehicles are being charged inside building complexes, oh, I don't know. You've raised if, so many good points here. I'm going to put that to you, Riz. I mean, between insurance going up, myths around, well, you can't really fix an electric vehicle, you'll just write it off. And then there's fires. So, Michael, because lots of people are concerned about apparent battery fires when it comes to EVs. Where do you want to start? <laughs> so, um, I guess let's start with the biggest one, the fires. Um, insurance companies consider a fair few risks when they think about insuring a vehicle. Um, And a fire is definitely one of them for those living in apartments. um, Having said that, EV fires are very, very rare. Um, And although, um, I mean, you have a greater chance of one of those electric scooters catching on fire while you're charging it um, compared to an, uh, an electric vehicle with four wheels. 
particularly because the battery management systems that are uh, that control everything about the charging are so good. They're better than what you have on your phone. So when you plug your phone in overnight, and if it's fast charging, it will get very hot, and we've all felt that. Um, it's less likely that that happens in an electric car because it's just better controlled, better cooled. Um, so fire risk is generally pretty low. It's insurance? Insurance, though. Are you, are you noticing that going up? I mean, similar to the tax that we saw the state government put on very mm-hmm. early on, people try to crystal ball it a little bit and think, well, how are we going to charge these people for stuff? It's it's exactly the... Unfortunately, that is the reality now as well. Um, personally speaking, my insurance in the last year or so, I got my renewal notice, it's gone up by 30%. And that was already starting from, a, unfortunately, a higher base level compared to when I used to drive a petrol car. So and why? I think it's, it's, it's to do with what they know and what they don't know. So they don't know at the moment how these vehicles will behave, the cost mm-hmm. to repair, the parts availability when they do get into a crash, how much of it will they need to replace right. versus what, what's basically deemed written, written off. If it's in their too hard basket... Charge more. Then charge more because <laughs> yeah. our risk is higher, although that's not backed by real-world data on EV crashes so much to still unpack about this even though it's really not that burgeoning frontier that ev ownership used to be wes in three bridges has given us a call good morning wes morning guys um i own a uh, chinese ev that cost me 39.999 it was one of the first cars the chinese manufacturer sent to australia they only sent 15 of this model uh, i use it as a light commercial vehicle it's a low charging. It's not super fast, but it's fast enough. And um, I'm delighted with the car generally. Um, the the thing about this car is it has a thing called a blade battery, which is lithium-ion phosphate. You can put a drill through it and it won't catch fire. You try that with a Tesla battery and it will explode. <laughs> We're not suggesting anyone try put a drill through any car batteries. <laughs> no, Let's and just that, be clear on that. But- Actually, and what you've also touched on, and this is something that we've spoken in the past, and that whole idea of if you can tinker around in a traditional petrol car and try and fix things yourselves, it's very different when it comes to an electric car. And we need to be straight up here that we we do not recommend that people try and fix things or tinker around Mm. with anything when it comes to electrics. But what Wes touched on, Riz, is the price that he paid. Uh, a car that's come from China. We're seeing more and more brands now. It's not just one. We're seeing more and more price brackets. Will they? St- will the price now that the demand is there? Will the price start to come down? Um, yeah, Vez did touch on a good point. I think he drives a BYD E6. There aren't too many of them around, and they are pretty safe. Um, prices are coming down. I was at a car launch last week, and uh, that same company that uh, makes the car that Vez drives, BYD, they've launched a sedan for. Still a little bit expensive, but it starts at under fifty thousand dollars. I've seen more of those on those. I think it stands for Build Your Dreams. Build Your Dreams, does it? Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's what I've learned today. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It, it does. It says it on most of the back. It says it on the back. Anything like it's like magic happens, right? Yeah. Those old school stickers. You know, want the word dreams on your car, anyhow. <laughs> And, and, and that's what's really interesting. The prices are coming down. They're launching a hatchback. 
that's under sort of $40,000. They've got their SUVs under $50,000, this large luxurious sedan for under $50,000. That will be here before the end of the year. MG and other brands are also bringing in cars that are around about that $40,000 mark. They're slowly coming down where, as we saw in COVID, car prices for petrol and diesel cars were going up. And they have remained at those levels while the electric car prices are coming down. And eventually it will become where the electric cars are cheaper than what the petrol car companies are charging. How far away is that shift, do you think? Um, Within the next 12 months. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's happening very quickly. It is. Even as you mentioned, Daniel, it, it has happened. It's sort of been, it's been slow and then it's been fast, like any significant change. It often mm. feels like that. It went from seeing the odd and pointing out an electric car because it was a rarity to them just being Yeah, from novelty everywhere. to norm. Yeah. It's gone from being a spot your, spot your EV on the road <laughs> to, um, I guess it, it's becoming a bit more commonplace. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the voice of Riz Actor, the head of the Victorian branch of the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. And Riz, one question that we're getting a lot on the text line is when are these things going to become, become more affordable? When is the average person going to be able to afford these? And that second-hand market as well kick in to increase supply. We know the numbers are coming in and they're, they're increasing for new cars. But what about second-hand cars? Because for a lot of people, you know, the world's very expensive. That might be the way that they're able to actually get into the market and um, get their hands on an EV, the second-hand market. Oh, great question, Dan. And it is changing so quickly now. I got a call last week from a gentleman in, um, I think it was uh, Newcastle, and he said, my wife and I are considering an electric vehicle what would you recommend? A new MG hatchback or a second-hand Tesla? So second-hand Teslas because they're already on the market. market. And it was one of the first times I'd ever had that question asked where they're comparing an affordable new electric car with a reasonably new used electric car. So used electric car prices are coming down. Um, There are some Teslas that you can buy sort of around late 30s to early 40,000s. They're very rare though, but the used prices are coming down and there's other models like from Hyundai and other brands that are in that $30,000 price bracket now. So many questions on text. We'll try and get through as many of them as we can throughout the program. Everything from EVs don't have a spare tyre. It's just not viable if you live in a rural area. And also, Michael's in Geelong and he says, it's about time we just dispel this perception that EVs are expensive and only owned by NIMBYs. We bought our electric car. Um, It's now saving us around $300 a week on petrol. It's the only car that has a positive rate of return. That's from Michael. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Warrnambool. And in the studio is Actor, the head of the Victorian branch of the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. We were speaking a lot about electric vehicles as a state last week when the news came in on the High Court decision. So throwing a wider lens over EV ownership, myths, whether or not you feel like we're charging ahead or if we're falling behind. Leon's in Reservoir. Morning. Uh, Good morning. Um, To your guest, electric vehicles, I have a concern. I don't own an electric vehicle, but I know from technology-wise, the engineer from the late 1790s or early 1800s, Frederick Jevons, now 
producer Jevons paradox said the more efficient and cheaper something becomes we use it more often and that undone does any efficiencies and I think the electric vehicle people are going to be driving it more for short distances and the mining industry has to expand in order to be able to produce the materials mm-hmm. needed so I, I see the flip side negativity of it and how, how can that be undone yeah, uh, Riz, I mean, that these are all valid when we talk about, okay, well, yes, there's no carbon emissions from the car that you're driving, but are there other elements that are going to be detrimental to the environment if it's not done properly, if we don't think long-term? We don't want to make those big long-term mistakes again. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we've, we've learned that with many other programs and things over the decades. Um, one of the things is recycling of the batteries, so what we want to do is not keep digging up these minerals needed to make these batteries eventually when enough of them are on the gra- on our roads and they do need to be recycled 10, 15 years, whenever it's their time, we are recycling as much of it as possible. Mm. And we've got a recycling expert that we're going to chat to a little later in the program as well. So Leon, we'll, we'll try and dig down a little deeper into that for you. Absolutely. Now, Nadine Armstrong is the consumer editor at carsales.com and has been kind enough to join us on the conversation now to talk all things electric vehicles. Nadine, good morning. Thanks for joining us. What is the appetite like for uh, EVs out there at the moment? I think, well, after after last week as well, I think it's rising. Certainly, you you really couldn't do anything last week without hearing about electric vehicles, which is a great thing. But, um, I mean, what we see at car sales in terms of sales so if you look at uh, september sales for example you know of the 110,000 or so cars that were sold 18.3 of those this is 18.3 better than this time last year but around eight percent of those were battery electric vehicles so around 8,800 of them okay and then also look at hybrids and plug-in hybrids which made up around 18 percent of those sales so yeah, so what we know, that that's all increased a lot since the previous year. So we can see interest is up. But that also looks at, you know, when we look at what people are searching for, we've had a huge increase in not only electric vehicles, but plug-in, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles and hybrids because, you know, not everyone's quite ready to make that big leap to a battery electric car. So certainly, you know, that those intentions are reflected in all the search criteria that we're seeing as well. What do you think the reason is behind that huge jump all of a sudden, Nadine? Is it because, as we said earlier, sometimes change takes a long time, then it feels fast? But how much of it do you also think is the price of petrol? And maybe people who once were those who would always jump onto something new and for environmental reasons, for sustainability reasons, now lots of people are trying to do it just because petrol is almost unaffordable for a lot of people. Absolutely, Rochelle. And I, th- I think when we saw those, you know, really, you know, intense uh, peaks in petrol prices, people were thinking, okay, maybe now is the time. Mm. But com- combine that with the fact that we've got a lot more product now. The EV product lineup here is much greater than it was, you know, 12 months ago, certainly 24 months ago. You know, we've got over 50 EVs that you can buy in Australia. That's 50 mm. different types. And then adding all the variants on top of that. So certainly the product has come at the right time as well. So if, you know, a little while ago, Tesla was probably the one car that everybody thought of, but now there is so much more choice out there. So that's certainly, you know, you don't have to buy the EV that's available. You can choose the one that works for you now. We're seeing a big jump, Nadine, in the new sales of EVs, but what's the second-hand market looking like? Because that is the more affordable approach for a lot of people. Are you seeing similar boosts in that second-hand market on your website? 
Yeah, so, that, you know, the stock is still not there quite yet when you think about probably, you know, between four and seven years is when people would turn over their cars to buy a new car. So we're still waiting to, to get a healthy second-hand market, to be honest. How but far I guess off do you think the, that is then? I, I would say within the next sort of five years, hopefully, if, if you look at, you know, the, the life cycle of somebody's car and also when all that new product is coming, like I said, if someone bought an EV because that was the only EV that was available, now that there are a lot of more, you know, there are family, there are people movers, seven seaters are coming now, eventually we're going to get a dual cab ute. So, you know, once once the product lineup is different, I think that will mean people might, you know, switch out of the one that they bought because it's the only one they could buy. So hopefully I'd like to see, you know, in the next, you know, two, four years that we'll, we'll get more in that secondhand market. Does it feel when you look at your sales, when you look at the sort of work that you are in, Nadine, I mean, is it like the graph just kind of goes off the chart really quickly all of a sudden? Like, is it been yeah. phenomenal to watch within your career a shift like this? It, it has been, and I, I think, you know, you look at the technology these days, some people sort of liken buying an EV to you're actually not sort of buying a motor vehicle, you're buying a piece of technology, which essentially is true. You know, the technology is the game changer. It's kind of like, you know, the, the body that it sits in is great and you'll, you'll buy the one that looks like how you want it to look or the functionality but you know the technology changing is, is quite incredible but we've seen that across sort of even things like from you know being able to you know have your phone mirrored on your dash you know so that was a big leap ahead and you know so the rate at which change is happening is is quite phenomenal it's a once in a generation change for mm. the industry and for that part of the market so nadine i'm sure this is just the start of it thanks for joining us on the program you're most welcome thanks guys that was Nadine Armstrong, consumer editor at carsales.com. Rochelle, the texts are just flying in. So apologies if we don't get to read <laughs> yours. They are coming in by the dozen. Um, we've got Riz Akhtar, the head of the Victorian branch of the Australian Electrical Vehicle Association with us. Riz, we hear a lot of people talk about electric cars and using them as batteries at their home, reverse mm. batteries. And this is something that sounds so Jetsons and I know, futuristic to me that a little bit, I yeah. just like smoke's coming out of my ears just trying to think about it. But is that, in this cost of living crisis that we're in, are people doing that, using their cars as reverse batteries for their houses? Um, with houses, th that technology is available. So there are cars out there that will allow you to connect a barbecue if you're out there camping, uh, connect your power tools if you're a tradie. If there's, there's youths in America that you can actually go out to your trade site, take them with you, don't need to have a generator. Plug them into the back of your car to charge your tools while you're working away. At a Does that then, though, drain your car and then you can't make it home? Uh, <laughs> no. The batteries are huge in these cars. So yeah. um, electric cars have, you know, what what from a large battery point of view, it's four, five... And I guess you could have it plugged in yeah, you, while you're on site. Mm, four or yeah. five days worth of... Um, storage in terms of electricity what an electric car battery has to what an average australian household would use so there's a lot of power in them so generally they can get back um from their work sites having said that there is um, a lot of new vehicles coming out that provide that vehicle to load so you can connect barbecues and other things to them if you wanted to on a campsite um wow. to Plug. Maybe I'd go camping all of a sudden. <laughs> exactly, glamping. <laughs> power, yeah. What about you can put your coffee machine into it. <laughs> now you're talking my language. Yeah. <laughs> Do electric cars need to be serviced? Servicing is an important, you know, it's an important part of any vehicle. Um, electric cars do. There's some brands that will, that have um, servicing plans 
while others like Tesla tell you, they openly say it, they're like, your car will only need to be serviced when your car tells you it needs a service. So it's it's not like they 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 generally don't want to see your car unless it needs something done and your car will tell you that. So it's getting to that stage where electric vehicles need less servicing um and most car brands understand that and so the cost to service generally speaking is less than what you would with a petrol or diesel cars because there's no oil that needs replacing um and it's just just the usual stuff your tires and your windscreen wipers and the rest. Helen has been waiting on the line from Donnybrook. Uh, thanks for waiting, Helen. What would you like to say? Oh, look, I just wanted to make a comparison. I've just been talking with our daughter in Canada. They're in Ottawa. They took possession of their first EV last week. And um, I asked her whether there were any charges, like petrol charges, like the charge that was a fee that was being charged by Victorian government. She said no quite the reverse. Um, People in Canada, when you buy an EV, the government will refund you $5,000 because their goal is to get as many people into EVs as possible. But as the debate that ignited across Victoria last week, Helen, at some point somewhere, whether it's stated or has to be federally, things need to be paid for. And if no one is paying a a tax, then not just roads, but all of the infrastructure around our roads, it needs to be paid for somehow. How how do they pay for that in Canada, Helen, do you know? It's true, but I think as with most things, whether you're talking about um, amenities on a new estate, um, there's that critical mass of people that are required to make something a viable proposition mm. when it comes to additional costs. Helen actually just mentioned housing estates there. Mm. And this is something I hadn't thought about. We're building entire new suburbs all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, is EV infrastructure being built? Judging by the look on your face just then, Riz, the infrastructure is not being built into those suburbs. Uh, not yet. And there's very few that are doing it. That um, seems crazy. It, it, it does. What is changing is building code is changing um, to incorporate particularly new apartment builds to have certain amount of car parks within a complex to have BEV charging ready. So either have the chargers in the ground or have the cable trays and all the electrical infrastructure ready so when they decide to put electric vehicle chargers in, they're there. But Should it, there not be some that mandated in some way? If we are going to get global emissions, if we're going to get global warming to a level that we are happy with, when we are talking about land that is granted to developers, when we are talking about state government builds, is this not something that is a no-brainer? It, it needs to happen. And to Helen's point earlier on um, taxes, everyone's happy to pay a tax so we can build this infrastructure for our future cities. It needs to come from a national level that gets transferred into the states and then local governments. So everybody needs to be on the same journey. It's a journey that we're all going on together. Aidan has given us a call from Shepparton with an interesting point. Good morning, Aidan. What would you like to say? G'day. How are you going? Um, first of all, I'll just make the point that... Um, EV's fantastic. Um, I think there's a, it's just a huge opportunity. However, um, when we speak about um, EV and dual cab utes, we mentioned about the LDV ute. I, I just, you know, for clarification, um, and, and I'm happy to be corrected, but the LDV ute is a two-wheel drive twin cab ute with a towing capacity of 1,000 kilograms. 
uh, with a range um, of about 150 to 180 kilometres when towing. Oh, you did your homework, so, Aiden. So, yeah, Mr Bowen famously, you know, spruked about this ute, this LDV ute. Um, it's chalk and cheese when you compare it to a current, you know, diesel equivalent. So you couldn't swap? You couldn't use it? Oh, look, how how would a trades person mm. get, you know, two and a half tonne of bricks to build your house? How do you get a caravan? How do you get a, a, a fishing boat, a ski boat? Um, they're so far off the mark at the moment, but no one... You know, no one tells you that they're not four-wheel drive. They've got a poor range. That's spot on in the sense that what we have today is not fit for purpose. Um, Having said that, Tesla's about to announce a ute. They have a delivery event at the end of November of their new Cybertruck. It looks like it's from the future. Of course it does. This thing (laughs) is going to be a towing machine. It's 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 just phenomenal what they're about to do with it. And they have the experience from their other product, which is their big semi-truck. It was recently doing 1,700 kilometers in a single day, fully loaded with about 40 ton of payload. Is so, that affordable, though? No, so th- those trucks yeah. are... You no, know, not the them. trucks, but I mean but, the, but the new ute coming in. They they will be. In the next 18 months to 24 months, if it's not from Tesla... It has ad- to be from someone, because every time we brands. do this show, people are like, Aiden, who called yep. from Shepparton, give me the ute that can do this and I will do it. It's there just that one. the product isn't there There yet. is one coming wow. before Christmas next year. There will be one there, and it's not from Tesla. Oh, you heard it here first mm-hmm. on the conversation hour. This message here: when um, when an EV has been ridden off following an accident, can the battery be recycled and can it be used for home batteries in combination with solar panels? That's from Yo in Anglesey. Well, I don't have the answer to that, but someone who does, I dare say, is Dr. Trevor Thornton. He's a lecturer in hazardous material management at Deakin University. Trevor, whenever we discuss electric vehicles, the management and the recycling of batteries is front and centre, and rightly so, is it going to cause a problem? So we're trying to drive electric vehicles so that they're better for the environment, but will we be creating another problem in return? No, good morning. Uh, no, we won't be, basically, because the uh, the batteries will be not allowed to go to landfill, uh, being a, a, an e-waste, an electronic waste as such. And I think to, uh, to answer uh, the question is that um, people sort of think that once the battery has been uh, out, you can't use it anymore, that it'll be recycled, but there are a lot of places that are actually reusing them. So they can be used and are being used for uh, things such as uh, solar batteries and, and so forth. So the, the idea would be that the, the battery's no longer suitable for the car, then it gets used for another use, and then uh, once that's up, uh, it then gets recycled or the materials get recycled. Trevor, one of the questions that we're getting a lot on the text line is to do with thermal fires. This from Stu in Mernda. He says, can you please discuss thermal runaway fires in EVs and how emergency services can prepare for a fire like that? That is a fire that supplies its own oxygen and cannot be extinguished using conventional methods. Is that something that we need to be wary of? Yeah, um, I think to answer the latter part, the emergency services, uh, obviously I can't speak for them, but they, uh, they're prepared for these types of fires if, uh, if they get called to them as such. But I think that the, uh, the incidence of fires is fairly low, 
but I think that if there was a problem, then uh, there would be regulations in, in place to uh, ensure that there is either some sort of uh, fire suppression system uh, inbuilt into the car that you have uh, with some other types of vehicles uh, and go from there. So I don't think that's a big issue as such and certainly won't impact on the, the recycling and the reusing of the batteries. In the, the relatively short period of time that we've had electric vehicles uh, around the globe, we have seen technology advance you know, at lightning speed. Will we start to see something similar, Trevor, when it comes to the batteries? Will they start to get smaller? Will we maybe put solar onto the cars themselves? Will the batteries become better? Yes. Uh, it, it, yes, yes, yes to all of those sorts of questions. <laughs> Certainly... Uh, uh, there's a lot of work being happening with battery technology across the globe, uh, not just for, for EVs, but for a whole range of different purposes. We're using these sort of lithium batteries, everything from, from cars to solar to uh, vacuum cleaners and so forth. And the last thing a consumer wants to do is, is have a battery that only lasts a couple of years and then have to buy a new one. Currently, the batteries are, are you know, warranted for around about the eight years, but uh, it's estimated they could last 10 to 20 years. So depending, it may be that other parts of the cars give up before the batteries, but there's a lot, an awful lot of technology being applied to batteries so that they do last a lot longer, get smaller, get more efficient, don't need as much resources in terms of the metals and so forth that go into them. So we'll find that, that over the years this will get much, much better. We're speaking with Dr Trevor Thornton, lecturer of hazardous material management at Deakin University. Uh, Trevor, what about removable batteries in cars? We're getting a lot of texts saying that is something that is being done in some elements of the market and then would, you know, stop a whole lot of waste. You don't have to go out and get an entire new car if you can just pull the battery out and pop a new one in. Is that something that we can be looking at? Yes, definitely. And that, that's something that will be largely driven by the consumer because, as you say, they don't want to uh, have to replace the car if, uh, if the battery's uh, gone. So there will be work. Uh, it'll be, market, as I said, market-driven, but uh, that's certainly uh, work being happening at the moment to try and see whether we can use the, uh, the, the, re- the rest of the car or, 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 as I said, other products that use uh, these types of batteries so that we uh, don't waste those resources. Trevor, always good to speak with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Cheers. Bye. Dr Trevor Thornton, lecturer in hazardous material management at Deakin University. Rochelle Hunt and Dan Miles with you. Joining you in the studio, Riz Akta, the head of the Victorian branch of the Australian Electrical Vehicle Association. One of the hundreds of texts that we have is Kev from Coleraine, and it says, Rish, you've been doing these EV shows for years. Yes, I have. And every time the guest says it's all going to change this year, hashtag... Sure. Is it actually really changing? So let's put some numbers to it. At the end of um, last year, we had around 60,000 electric vehicles in Australia. That's December. Whereas it just September's just gone by and we are at hun- nearly 125,000. That's more. The whole fleet has doubled in the first nine months of this year. So the way the trajectory is going, it starts like it's it looks like the start of a little, you know, hockey stick, which is growing very, very quickly. And as more affordable models come in, 2023 is the year of the EVs. (laughs) Oh, there you go. You've heard it here first. This is the year of the EV. We didn't know we were living in it until October. Uh, Simon's given us a call in Glenroy. Good morning, Simon. Thanks for waiting on the line. Oh, no problem. Hey, um. 
Oh, before I get to my actual point, I was just going to say I did a round trip in my EV yesterday uh, down to South Gippsland and back, and it's about a 380 kilometre trip, um, and it cost me about 10 bucks because we we got back near empty and recharged the car. If I had have done the same trip in my petrol car, it would have cost me 110 bucks. If you wanted so, to charge along uh, the way, Simon, could you have? Did you see many charging points? The charging infrastructure in South Gippsland is bad. There's not there's not many options. There are a couple of charges going in. I think there's one that's just been put into Leangatha. Um but but it's yeah, lagging way behind. So uh but what what actually wanted to talk about was we, we actually just had a minor accident in our in our car. Someone hit it in a car park and we needed to get it fixed. And uh, I think probably one of the issues that, that a lot of people may find at the moment with EVs, which are, which I think is going to get better, is the number of repairs that they can mm. find to repair your car. Because, for example, with Tesla, there was only a, a certain number of uh, approved approved repairs, and and uh, we had to, we had to drive about an mm. hour away to find one that was available at the time that That's we wanted to fix the vehicle. And even the idea of a yeah. mechanic, like you almost can't even use the word mechanic anymore. You sort of, I guess you want an electrician and who's fixing them and whether or not they have to be credited. A couple of really great points raised there from Simon South Gibson. We've had lots of people saying in rural and regional areas, there's just not enough infrastructure. Is there too many restrictions around who can fix certain cars and do we have the mechanics slash electricians ready for this year of the EV? <laughs> well, the short answer is they're getting ready. And some of the work that we're doing, working with organisations that are training the future mechanics um, as well as TAFEs and others, they're all thinking about it and what do we need to do to make that happen. So we don't get to a stage where we have, you know, uh, ear-on-ear growth, um, of electric vehicles getting on our roads and nobody can fix them, particularly mm. in regional areas. So that's changing. Charging infrastructure, to Simon's point, in South Gippsland has been atrocious. Um, state government, um, with the, the money that was being raised, plus money set aside for charging infrastructure, um, that's heading to tourist hotspots like Wilson's Prom. You know, we all do it. Um, Lucky there is a charger now, only open, I think, last month in Leongatha. There's a couple more going in, but with the number of EVs, as we touched on the numbers, growing so rapidly, we need a lot more. So hopefully that And then there would be lots of people who say, well, hang on a second, we need our roads fixed before we need mm. EV chargers put in. And that's why we need private funding to come in as well. So you think so, it so needs the, to be both private so and public? In New South Wales, for example, the way the government does the grants over there is they bring the private industry together. So it's co-contribution. And they're building bigger and bigger charging infrastructure there and hopefully we can do the same in Victoria. Gary's given us a call from Doncaster. What would you like to say, Gary? Yeah, sure. Uh, my question is about the suitability of EVs for taxis. <clears throat> so, for example, if an EV's got a range of used as a taxi three or four hours, you need 20 minutes to charge it. If you've got a charger exactly where you want it and available, you might have to wait an hour or so. So a taxi could be off the road for several hours a day to be charged. Mm. How do they manage that? Let's put that to Riz. Yeah, very interesting point. Um, I know a fair few people that that drive an Uber with an electric car. Um, Generally speaking, they will drive between 200 to 250 kilometres a day 
although you'd think they'd do so many trips, but generally they're running around the city from, you know, Richmond to South Melbourne mm, or something like that. Dropping off people's mass yeah. bar that they've ordered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, so the range that most electric cars have today is more than enough, and a lot of them just charge overnight. As Simon mentioned earlier, when he got back, plugged it in, $10 is what it cost them. And will that start to change where we will see solar on the cars? I mean, even will there be materials around the car, whether it's the paint that is used, for example, that will somehow capture, store, generate the power of the sun and charge as you drive? There have been diverse cars available in the market today. As a novelty, they do have a solar panel on the roof or integrated into the roof. Um, they just generally don't provide enough power that these cars need. Having said that, there's been trials for wireless charging in London where those London cabs, where they pull up at the rank, they have these Mm. little wireless chargers, so they just hover over like your wireless phone charger. They just drive over them and they charge those cars while they're waiting at the taxi rank. That's wild. So this is the sort of stuff that's being trialled. Put them at traffic lights. (laughs) Well, it's it, it's it's funny. Some, everywhere. some of the bus bus companies in Europe, when they pull up at a bus stop, this massive gantry comes down and it charges those buses and like give them a five minute quick charge, enough for them to keep doing what they're doing. So there's so many different ways to do this, and I think the taxi and Uber industry um, will not have any problems electrifying. The what about magnetic? Here. <laughs> Absolutely. What about uh, magnetic charging lanes? We got a text from Sophia about those saying there are magnetic charging lanes on freeways in Europe. Is this real? Um, as far as I know, it's probably being prototyped or trialed. Um, but in terms of you know, one day it would be great to have that. I mean, Japan can run bullet trains and, you know, there's those magnetic railways as well that is happening. So hopefully with EVs, we see new technologies. Hussein Dia is a professor of future urban mobility at Swinburne University. Talking about, I mean, when all of the things that Riz has just mentioned and the, the future and the technology that's being used, what does it tell you, Professor, just around how we will move about as a society, from the outer suburbs to the regions to rural areas to the CBD, will we just start to move differently? Um, I think so. And um, when we talk about the future, we talk about the future of transport being electrified. Uh, down the line, we're we're looking also at highly automated, or in the in the end, ultimately, autonomous vehicles. We would like to see these on the roads as soon as we can because they're going to be safer when they're ready they're not ready yet and also the future of transport is connected meaning we're going to have sustainable transport people get to choose the mode of transport to their destination multiple modes etc but certainly from a sustainability point of view uh, the future needs to be electric in terms of transport Hussain, what about something like hydrogen-powered cars? That's something we've had a lot of texts on, specifically pointing to places like Japan. Is that a part of our future? It's a, I think it's a bad idea. Uh, we have a solution that is much better uh, through electrification. The, we, can, you know, uh, we can easily elect, uh, decarbonize our electricity grid. Hydrogen, I know it has been uh, touted as a solution. Uh, the problem with it is that it is not as efficient out of the energy you put into creating the, uh, the hydrogen uh, power, if you like, to move a vehicle. Very little is actually used to, uh, to drive the vehicle. So um, they, there could be a solution or a part 
for hydrogen in heavy uh, vehicles like trucks. Uh, but for passenger vehicles, I think uh, battery electric is a much better solution. What just finally, what do you think the next big leap will be when it comes to the future of electric cars? That They're here, we're seeing them everywhere, but what's that next big step, do you think, Hussein? So you've talked about the uh, charging infrastructure and um, I think manufacturers are are focusing on technologies in batteries. So one of the the problems we have there is that um, they're they're making them much bigger because, you know, to address people's uh, range anxiety. Um, And I think there's a lot of focus nowadays on on trying to, to manage that because we cannot just keep increasing the range of vehicles you're just going to need massive uh, batteries i think the point which you mentioned before is a more appropriate way of addressing this is to uh, look at you know getting more charging infrastructure mm-hmm. and australia i know we're starting from behind with uh, with electric vehicles but it is actually an issue overseas as well people mm-hmm. no longer talk about range anxiety they now talk about queue anxiety people Uh, getting to the charging infrastructure and not having enough chargers there yep and that's exactly what you spoke about at the top of the show rochelle that line of people queuing up not for a petrol bowser Mm -hmm. but for a powerpoint hussein dear thank you very much for joining us on the conversation hour my pleasure thank you I was saying, dear Professor of Future Urban Mobility at Swinburne University. Joining us in the studio, Riz Actor, head of the Victorian branch of Australian Electric Vehicle Association. You've blown my mind over mm. the past hour. Um, what is the takeaway for you? I mean, we know this is the year of the EV. We've coined it, we've phrased it and stamped it. Um, what's next? I think the affordability of electric cars, yeah. and we need to find a way of getting electric cars to lower socioeconomic people as 100%. well because um, and it is happening in Europe you can France has policies that make it really affordable for people to transition it's to an electric vehicle. who needs it the most. Exactly yeah. exactly they're the ones that drive the drive quite a bit distances and if we can make it affordable and accessible for them which will happen it will happen with electric cars that are um, have smaller batteries smaller range but most people don't need 500 kilometers a day. Riz, thank you so much for your time today. You've been very generous with it and it's been fascinating. Thank you. No Riz Actor, the head of the Victorian branch of the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. Daniel Miles, as always, joining us from ABC Warnable. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Tomorrow we're talking about roadside motels and country motels. Are we seeing a resurgence of people staying in them and using them? The Conversation Hour is a podcast. Go to the ABC Listen app to download TalkSync.